52 Sketches Podcast, Episode 10. Milliner Sahar Fremantle. Welcome to 52 Sketches, a podcast about creativity and creative practices. Here's your host, Rob Head. Welcome to the 52 Sketches Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Head. We are here again to talk about living a creative life creativity practices, habits, and strategies for making wonderful things and experiences. In this episode, I am so pleased to welcome Sahar Fremantle. Sahar Fremantle is an award-winning milliner based in London. The purpose of her brand, Sahar Millinery, is to create beauty and inspire creativity. She specializes in handmade hats for women, hats which by all accounts have great shapes, complement the wearer, and are comfortable to wear. Bespoke pieces might even tell stories of the wearer in the details. Sahar also teaches workshops on the craft of millinery, as well as her newest adventure, The Milliner's Drawing Room, which are hat-focused life-drawing classes. Both of these ventures aim to bring out creativity from participants so Sahar's audience are not just passive spectators or wearers, but intrinsically involved in the creation process. Sahar is a Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Trust Award winner and has a degree in performance costume from Edinburgh College of Art. Sahar Millinery also has a sub-brand called Ugly Lovely, which is a playful exploration at what beauty is, taking inspiration from nature and surrealism. Sahar's work has been exhibited at the V&A, featured in The Guardian, The Independent, and Evening Standards list of Best Ascot Hats, on screen in Downtown Abbey, and on celebrities such as Ellie Goulding, Paloma Faith, Katy Perry, Celeste, Charlie Howard, Georgina Campbell, Victoria Baker Harper, and Immodesty Blaze. Sahar's work has been shown in Japan, Portugal, Mali, Berlin, and France. So, welcome, Sahar. Thank you, Rob. That all sounded so wonderful in your lovely American accent. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, well, we can we can uh, have a mutual admiration uh, celebration here because <laughs> we just love to hear your. Uh, I, I assume what would be described as a London accent, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I wasn't brought up in London, so um, I have more of a kind of like middle of England kind of uh, accent yeah I, uh, I, I would say I the see. London accent is, uh, is a, a bit more rough than mine <laughs> <laughs> I see I see wonderful it's so great to have our first international guest on the podcast you are living and working in London yeah that's right yes I yeah. um, may say whatever I say about the you know the London accent or whatever but actually I I love London. I love being here. I've been here for several years. And um, yeah, mm. I don't think I ever want to leave here. I think it's an amazing city. <laughs> Wonderful. So, you know, the first thing that occurs to me as I'm speaking to you is how culturally specific some arts are. So, for example, the word milliner was not in my vocabulary until <laughs> I was uh, researching your work. <laughs> you know, mm. we as Americans, uh, we might use the word haberdasher if we're trying to sound especially British, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but, so tell us about what, what is a, a milliner? Uh, a milliner is a hat maker. Um, so yeah, just somebody who makes hats and headwear. Um, you can use the word hatter, but that's not very often used. Um, I think that's more used to describe people who make men's hats um, right so yes I'm a milliner uh, and what that <laughs> means is I make hats and headpieces uh, mostly for women 
Mostly for women, right. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. the word hatter in, over here anyway uh, is usually preceded by the word mad. So Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about your backstory a little bit. How did you end up here? So let's let's talk about maybe your childhood, your upbringing. Did you have creative things that you were into as you were growing up? You know, did you sing or dance or play in plays or did, were you, you know, sewing dresses or whatever when you were... Uh, a young one you know, what were you involved in um art and creativity were very much encouraged in my household I'd say the kind of like singing performance kind of stuff was more my sister's realm she used to drag me into her you know oh we're gonna write a, an imaginary newspaper and <laughs> she thought that was fun <laughs> um for <laughs> me I was always a little bit more into the visual visual stuff so I was into calligraphy from quite a young age and um just mm. kind of like details of stuff like I remember baking a cake and just spending ages making like little rose roses out of icing and and stuff like that my parents always just really encouraged any kind of artistic pursuits yeah mm -hmm. did you decide at some point that I'm going to pursue this uh academically you know how did you end up with your degree yeah and what was so, it performance costuming yeah performance costumes so I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I just was looking through all of the um you know university prospectuses and just <laughs> saw like I kind of left it last minute as usual because I was just like I don't know like I'm not amazing at anything you know in my my school kind of um results were they were fine you know but I wasn't like mm -hmm. I didn't excel mm -hmm. in any one area including art mm. but my my parents mm. were just always um because they they could just see that in my spare time I was always just being creative so they definitely encouraged me to go to art college. So mm. in England, we do what's called a foundation course where you just do a foundation course for a year and you just try out a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so yeah, I did kind of sculpture, I did textiles. And then when I was looking through the prospectuses, I saw a photograph of this Victorian costume, which was all made from leather. And it was just unlike anything I'd seen before. And I was like, what's that I want to whatever this person did to study that to make that I that's what I want to do and I looked and it was like okay costume wow I didn't even know you could do a degree in that like I hadn't even mm. thought about it. it wasn't even on my radar and, mm. and I think at schools you know I don't know what it's like over there but over here you know the career advice is always quite minimal you don't realize right. that there's you know and even now I meet people with just really specific really niche jobs and it's just like yeah okay that's that's a job and they've they've either got the job or they've created it they've carved it for them for themselves you know um right. yeah so I chose costume design and there were not very many places in the country that offered it but Edinburgh up in Scotland the capital of Scotland um was one of the places and I had never been there before but I'd heard it was a pretty cool place so yeah I mm. didn't sort of give myself very many choices particularly because I just knew that Edinburgh was a cool place and so I put it down and yeah, I went there. So that's when I did my three-year BA honours degree um, up in Edinburgh uh, at the art college doing performance mm. costume. Mm, that's wonderful. This is turning into a commercial for liberal arts education where you're exploring, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, exploring uh, what's out there and not, without, you know, walking into a university knowing exactly necessarily. And then it's interesting because from there, 
you can do so many different things. So even, I mean, costume, performance costume sounds niche, but there are so many niches within that. So mm. it's like going into millinery is one. I could have gone into leatherwork. I could have gone into right. making corsets from a particular decade. Like I could have gone into, I don't know, like dyeing fabrics. You know, there's like, sure. I could have worked at a costume yeah. house. There's so many, yeah, I guess kind of people always say to me like, I don't know like how did you know and it's like well I didn't I didn't know like I just kind of like <laughs> every step of the way just kind of went well that sounds that good well. I'll, I'll keep yeah. doing that yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. it sounds fun yeah. it sounds like it's kind of <laughs> calling me somehow um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and yeah as well you have to consider of course like to consider like can I is there money in this that's that's a consideration sure yeah Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But that so is, when you say performance costume, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, when you say performance costume, I'm picturing uh, stage and screen costuming. Like, yeah, you know, for which even or that film. is broad. It's like the difference mm-hmm. between stage costume and the difference between film costume is, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's quite a difference, you know, actually, and you'll and you'll have costume designers that specialize in one or the other most of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so you went through the program at Edinburgh, and how did you get from there to okay? I'm going to figure out how to make a living doing this. Um, when I graduated, I still didn't know for sure what I wanted to do, but I met. I shortly afterwards, I met some milliners in Scotland, and they mm. wanted um, just some help putting on a, a millinery fashion show. And as soon as I saw, they literally opened up the boot of their car and I saw all of these awesome hats and I was like wow <laughs> I didn't even realize this kind of thing existed or you could make this sort of thing or this was a job or you know it was kind of that one of those moments again right and I sort of started trying on these hats and just having loads of fun and I was just like oh can I come and just like do some work experience with you and I, I want to learn how to do this and mm-hmm. there was just something in that moment where it, in my heart of hearts and in my intuition it felt right but in my head, my head was still going, no, so you need to explore different things. And like, I, I almost didn't trust my intuition. Um, and mm. so then I spent like a good two, three years after that, trying out lots of different things. I was making wedding dresses and I was working on, you know, like costumes in films and stuff like that. And in my heart, like I knew that I wanted to specialize in millinery, but it took me years to actually like have confidence in that little feeling Mm, right wow yeah I think that's something that every artist struggles with is this you know listening to the intuition that says this is what you're supposed to be doing (laughs) yeah yeah and cultivating Uh, intuition is is a whole other ball game as well mm, you know do you do you have any practices that help you cultivate your intuition yeah, I've just started over the years to try and listen a bit more, try and trust a little bit more, to become aware of the voice in my head that's my more kind of my ego and telling and keep trying to keep me safe and telling me not to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Listening to that and hearing that loud and choosing, do I want to listen to that voice or not? Or do I want to mm-hmm. listen to this other way more faint voice over there that's going actually your heart seems to love this Mm. you know Mm. and that's been a a kind of um you know a a practice developing over years and it's come from 
a variety of, of ways. There's a lots of different ways to do that. So like, of course, in one way, intuition can be kind of a, a spiritual thing and you can develop mm -hmm. intuition through spiritual practices, whether that's kind of a visualization meditation or whether that's through prayer, um, you know, or just creating time to be still. Mm. Um, and then on the other hand, like I've taken part in various personal development courses where we are trained to listen to that negative voice as well, to hear, not listen, but to yeah. hear it. And mm -hmm. once you hear that, you you realize like, my goodness, that has dominated, you know, this voice that goes, no, you're not good enough. Who do you right. think you are? You know, the like that. Critic. Yeah, like totally. And, you know, by kind of almost putting that on loudspeaker, you're, it's not in your subconscious anymore. It's very much in your conscious and you can choose at that point whether to listen to that or not. Hmm. Hmm. I really resonate with what you said about that inner critic being much louder than, you know, the, the, the soft voice that's saying, oh, you love this. <laughs> yeah. And, mm. uh, and, and that it takes, uh, it takes personal um, effort to hear the, the soft, gentle voice telling you what you need to be doing. Yeah. 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 You know, and I think it's a cross between like the spiritual and the kind of more mind psychological personal mm -hmm. development self-help kind of stuff that's out there yeah yeah yeah, yeah those things are intertwined yeah. so did those folks that you know were pulling hats out of the the trunk of the car did they end up becoming mentors or people that that helped you along the way or was that just a moment in time they did, did people, yeah, for, yeah, for a few months there. Yeah, I would um, take the bus to the countryside and go mm -hmm. work with them in like this millinery shed thing, <laughs> which they built. <laughs> and uh, it was a fabulous kind of couple couple of months where I just was, they were just teaching me and um, I was working for them just for free. I was, you know, and it was just this, cool exchange mm. and uh yeah it was it was lovely and that's where i so learned my, my basics almost like the uh, apprentice model in a way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and now i yeah. do the same with with people I, I have interns and work experience people come to me come to my studio and i do the same thing i i oh, teach them wonderful. and then they go off and do whatever it is that they do with the with the skills yeah mm. yeah and it it really emphasizes the fact that every art has this sort of lineage of mm -hmm. skills being passed, you know, from each, each generation down the line and, and, you know, each generation brings something new, but, but is also dependent on the, all of the work, all the way up the lineage, right. <laughs> back back to whenever, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, you started, uh, at some point you're making hats, um, and you're having some financial success. Yeah. Yeah. How do you frame your work now? You know, how do you keep inspired? You've expressed that you, you love to bring joy to people. You love to find ways to help them express who they are as an individual. Is that what drives you? Or how do you, how do you shape your career in a way that has a sense of purpose? Well, first of all, let me just say that it's taken years <laughs> to... <laughs> uh, to, it was years when I was doing it on the side mm -hmm. and just, you know, I had to start off with when I first moved to London from Edinburgh, you know, I mm -hmm. just had to get a standard full-time job because I was like, whoa, this city's expensive mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't yes. know anyone. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that was for years and I would just be doing my hats on the side and then like 
kind of managed to go down part-time with that for several years and then kind of got myself a millinery studio and then you know kind of that's when the website came and everything like that and that was you know it, it took years and then it was about five years ago when I went full-time with millinery but when I went full-time with millinery at that stage I was no I wasn't making anywhere near the amount of money that one needs to live anywhere let alone London mm. um so it's been for me a very slow, um, organic process of growth, which I've constantly worked hard at. And mm-hmm. I've had some periods, say when that first year, first couple of years when I went full time, I was, mm-hmm. it felt like I was just shooting in the dark and I was just saying yes to absolutely everything that came along. I was really, really pushing myself. Um, I learned a lot in that year and I've learned, okay, what works and, and what doesn't work. And that, that's what I've learned, of course, throughout the, the last kind of decade or so, but particularly mm-hmm. in that, in that year. But what was really interesting in that, in that first couple of years is at one point, my coach said to me, she was we playing some game over Christmas. She had all of her, you know, the people that she coaches and she, she was kind of saying random words and we had to sort of say how we related to them. And she said the word passion. And I suddenly I realized that I'd lost my passion. Mm. And I was like, Oh, okay, this is interesting. Um, and that's why, you know, kind of one of many, many examples of how having, uh, either like a, another person there whether it's a coach or whether it's a course or whatever is is really great and not just being buried in my work on my own because sometimes they shine a light on something that you wouldn't have seen so so I was like oh I seem to have completely lost my passion and so over the le- next few days I thought about it and I was like yeah it's because I'm so busy trying to make money out of this mm-hmm. it's all focused on the money it's all focused on this fear of like not being able to pay rent and and I kind of thought about it and I was like, well, this is a transitional period going from being supported by my salary to not having any steady income. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is okay, actually. And maybe mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. how it should be right now. Um, and I don't, I don't need to worry about it or do anything about it. I'll just accept that this is how it is right now and make a goal that at some point in the next two or three years... I will make space to create mm. just for the sake of creativity and not to make money. And I will have learned enough or I would have had enough kind of regular clients that I don't, it's not all about the money mm-hmm. because if it was yeah. going to be all about the money, my goodness, I could have done there something. There are better careers. Which, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Than being a craftsperson. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, that, that story reminds me it, it, of so many people that, that we all have in our lives and know, and maybe ourselves, you know, this idea of like, you know, I'm struggling so hard. I don't even like music anymore. I don't even like mm. painting anymore, you know, and I don't, you know, writing is ridiculous, you know, it's mm. a challenge, of course, because we live in a, a market economy society that, that doesn't necessarily value uh, all contributions to society in the same way. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we all have to make a living and, you know, uh, but it's, uh, it can be really discouraging. So it sounds like you um, sort of embraced th- that sort of life stage. And, and how did you come out the other end of that? Do you feel like you've recovered your, yeah, your inspiration? I, f- I feel like I I am in that process of of recovering it. So I've um I'm certainly a lot more passionate now than I was 
in in that moment um mm. and i have bursts of it and bursts of inspiration and bursts of creativity yeah i think there was maybe a couple things there was yeah what i kind of realized and planned out which is like just keep working through this next 2 3 years and mm-hmm once you have a little bit of stability within the business side of things right you kind of will you'll you know the rhythm you know when the busy periods are you know where good places are to sell and so you know you kind of are going to know that money's going to come in at like certain times of the year and stuff like that and that so that kind of started happening so it's like okay less stressed about money because just kind of knowing the the ebbs and flows of it of the year mm-hmm. basically because mm-hmm. my work is very seasonal right yeah yeah and then it was being kind of um strict on myself to make sure that I allowed time in my schedule to just create for creativity's sake um yeah. so you know so actually just today I wrote myself a list now we're we're sort of in lockdown it's quite easy to get lost in lockdown but I, I wrote myself mm-hmm. a list to structure my week and one of you know, one of the days per week, um, it, I've said that I want to spend learning. I've bought myself a whole bunch of like online tutorials and stuff like that, new skills within millinery, I don't know. Um, you know, so just to kind of keep that structure and then another day of the week to spend making the stuff that I've been wanting to make for ever and ever. And I just don't ever get around to it because I'm too busy doing this commission or that commission or or whatever. So um, yeah, so I'm carving out more time to actually get back to creating for mm. for fun and to and, right. and to yeah and that of course is going to have a future wonderful knock-on effect because I'm going to have this awesome portfolio and I'm mm-hmm. going to get more right. of that work you know right. so it's like creating right. stuff in my portfolio that I actually want to have in my portfolio so not just safe sellable pieces but awesome mm. show pieces that's the sort of thing that's going to get me seen and that's going to get me noticed. Um, so it will end up contributing to the business side of things as well, of course. Right. And that, that's the, yeah, that's the thing about any kind of practice that is not for the short-term benefit, right. For the short-term profit, right. Mm -hmm. It it still has this long-term growth, uh, aspect to it. It really, uh, you know, it comes back to, um, finding ways of balancing our lives, um, ways of structuring our lives so that we have time for that. I really appreciate you mentioning that you wrote it out. You know, I'm I'm dedicating this day of the week or whatever it is. Mm. I'm much more, um, familiar with, uh, the performing arts and, and there's, um, you know, like a musician needs to practice their instrument, you know, really seriously every day and, Mm -hmm. uh, or an actor, you know, doing vocal exercises or all the things you mentioned the learning aspects, but are there other things that you do to keep yourself clear-headed and creative uh, that you do on a you know regular basis? You mentioned the setting aside a day for learning new things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which I'm I'm not very good at. I'm not very good at at the moment. Like um, making sure that I uh, myself, you know, without being forced to you know, kind of do this lesson and that lesson and, and sit down because, because that's difficult, right? It's like the, mm-hmm. the deliberate practice is, is tough going. Like that's not the fun part. You mm-hmm. know, for me, the mm-hmm. fun part is like when I get just an influx of desire designs and I just want to, and I, and I design and I, and I'm like, 
oh, we could do that, we could do that, you know, and then it's just like, mm-hmm. that's kind of the passionate part. But, you know, for me, sitting and like following instructions of like this particular <laughs> stitch or whatever, like, <laughs> right. you know, it's like yeah. deliberate practice yeah. isn't, mm-hmm. I don't think it's meant to be fun. It's sort. It's definitely not meant to be easy, but it's completely necessary to become experts in our field. So that's kind of the, yeah, it's a, it's a dedication. And actually mm-hmm. what I found is, um, so I said about having interns and work experience people. So I've got, um, a lovely girl with me at the moment in the studio and she, you know, it's what's helping me is for me to say, let's learn this together. And so we can both sit down and learn something mm. new. And it, that is great for her because she's getting all these new skills for free. And it's great for me because it encourages me to actually you know go down that route and and to learn stuff myself and to be humble about that and just kind of go yeah I might have been doing this for 10 years but there's still so much I don't know right Um, continuous growth yeah 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 yeah. yeah. um so there's that but then there's I guess on a kind of daily practice um yeah I mean I get I do start every morning with a kind of very just simple um practice of simple yoga which then goes into kind of like reading some of the Baha'i writings saying my Baha'i prayers and um sort of recently started to do a little bit of kind of creative visualization meditation Mm. sort of Mm -hmm. where I you know just I'm kind of new to it but I sort of pretty much just sit there and imagine stuff I want (laughs) I don't know what what I'm (laughs) supposed to be doing but I try and design my life you know like I've sort of started to get into into that into that practice um yeah I think we can be pretty powerful in that way yeah it's interesting you mentioned um you know visualizing things that you want uh there's of course two ways to approach that one is you know I want fancy things and (laughs) whatever and another (laughs) is I want to be I want to create beautiful things or I want this opportunity to manifest or whatever you know and I think that's part of uh uh getting to our goals is to understand what is it that I want, you know, um, not the trappings of what I want, but what is it specifically that I want to be doing and contributing? Is that, yeah. is that how you experience it? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a fan of both, like, you know, yes, I want this fancy, whatever thing, you know, I, you can visualize, <laughs> I, I'm all up for visualizing right. material stuff, but yeah, you know, actually, um, kind of zooming out and looking at the whole picture or, or, you know, what I, what I want to create in this world. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to create a whole lot more than, you know, just hats. I, I, before my last pop-up shop, I vision, I would sit in my garden in the summer. I would do my spiritual practice and then I would sit there and envisage this beautiful shop, people coming mm. and being delighted this feeling of total, just joy, upliftment, happiness, inspired, you know, people would just, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I honestly, like, I was blown away, all of that came true in my pop-up, like, I was (laughs) so, I was just like, I couldn't just, it was exactly as I'd visualized it, people would walk Mm. into the shop, and they'd be like, oh, wow I I love this oh my god I'm so happy you're here I'm so happy to see they would (laughs) greet me like I was their long lost friend like it was Uh. it was beautiful it was so 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 beautiful and so I guess what it was is like I was I was kind of focusing in on the feeling 
you know, on that kind of the feeling of upliftment and, mm. and joy. And then like, of course, sales came from that, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, right, of course right. they did. And yes, that's yes. great. But the mm-hmm. feeling of them and then therefore the feeling of me just feeling so good like that, you know, that's kind of the priceless thing, isn't it, really? It really is. Yeah. I'm thinking of a lecture that a particular composer conductor gave in which he was referring to that, that twinkle in people's eye. That's the, you know, mm. if, if you don't get that, you haven't really done your job. <laughs> like yeah. That, that smile in the eyes when people see your work or hear your work or experience yeah. your work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's so wonderful. What a, what a, uh, uh, dream and to experience that manifesting itself uh mm. you know in your in your, your waking life <laughs> yeah um, yeah definitely yeah. and i just like yeah. that's and so it's and it's just great because it's it's kind of a model of just life and how much more can i create of that how can i take that mm-hmm. to the next level it's like okay cool that's one pop-up shop how can i do that on a bigger scale how can i touch more people like do mm. i need to get on tv and have a tv program where i do something you know and 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 touch millions of people like at home like do i like Mm -hmm. how how can i just expand that and just Mm -hmm. do it more for the rest of my life if it can happen (laughs) for baking it can happen for hats right yes absolutely (laughs) oh yeah yeah by the way that's a global phenomenon everybody's watching the great British baking show. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the future a little bit. Like, you know, what are you working on right now? How is the how has the uh pandemic influenced everything and and then where do you want to get to sort of within and beyond the the pandemic? Mm. Yeah, it's been a really interesting time. I mean, for me, as I said, my work is very seasonal. Um, mm. So I bring and, in... And what do you mean by that? Let's talk about the seasonality. When when is when are your hot seasons? Oh, so for me over here, it's in springs because that's where uh, the Royal mm. Ascot is, which is the horse racing. Mm, right. So it's the horse, it's the Royal Ascot and then it's all the wedding season. So, so my kind of, yeah, so the time mm. when I bring in... Most of the money um, of the whole year is uh, in the kind of six weeks before Royal Ascot. Um, So Mm. that's kind of like May and June. I see. Yeah, I can relate to that a little bit because uh, the only time (laughs) that I can think of in American culture that we really focus on on women's hats would be like the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then occasionally, I guess, some Hollywood events, but, but that's pretty much it. And, and so, okay. So you have the the horse races and then wedding season. And wedding season. Yeah. So that's, so in terms of sales, um, that's kind of my main just kill time going in there and just like, and a lot of my year will be, you know, preparing for that time really. Um, so that's kind of what I mean when I say seasonal. And then, you know, I'll have different uh, hat ranges for different seasons. So, of course, a, a recent uh, range in the last couple of years, I've, do, I've been doing Panama hats, all kind of ethical and fair trade. And then also in the last kind of two, three years, developing a range of, you know, more wearable hats for the winter. So like trilby hats and that sort of thing. So I'm, yeah, like I I used to do just kind of only occasion hats and now I've got several ranges. I also do sort of headbands, which are more kind of affordable items just to wear kind of every day. So um, yeah, I'm expanding mm-hmm. my range um, of hats 
And has that been part of your journey um, growing professionally to where you can sustain yourself by by realizing that I need to fill in these gaps in the year? Yes, or? absolutely. Yeah. So before mm. I started doing any of the kind of personal development type work, which I do I, now, I had a quite a limited mindset and I just had it that the only time milliners can make money is just before Ascot. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of funny, like thinking back at like how I used to think and how trapped I made myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for like, I don't know, in America, I think it, I think it came from America, the Landmark Forum, if you know, if you're familiar yeah. with the Landmark Forum is sure. like, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a lot more, it's not bigger in America than it is here. Over here, British people are a little bit funny about doing, you know, that kind of work because it's all kind mm-hmm. of a little bit emotional. <laughs> Right, and right. You know what you know what us Brits are like. Or, or yeah. it sounds very American, and you know what us Brits are like. You know, it's like we, we can't show too much, you know. Yeah. So when you yeah. go somewhere, there's a lot of clapping and a lot of smiling. You get very suspicious. Um, right. l- luckily, yeah. I've been able to overcome that and uh, dive right in there. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's yeah. like doing programs like this, you know, which where you you know you have a coach and you and they. And they question you. And so I would have just said, like, oh, no, like the only time I can make money as a millionaire is, you know, just before Ascot. And it's just kind mm-hmm. of to be in a program like that and just to have someone question you. And then you get to the point where you're so good at it, you can catch yourself. So you don't even need to have somebody you can catch right. yourself. Self, and then, yeah, yeah. And so then, yeah. So then I remember having this thought and I remember going, oh, that's a limiting thought, isn't it? <laughs> if I ever heard one. <laughs> and, um, and so I just remember then going, right, I'm going to just park that. I'm going to put that to one side. Okay, that's that's one possible viewpoint. Or I could have another viewpoint where as a milliner, I can be making loads of money the whole year round. And if I was to do that, <laughs> how would that be? And I literally, yeah. I remember I sat there and I wrote down um, about 12 income streams I could very easily have as a milliner, mm. which would keep me going for for the whole year. So it's like, as soon as I let that limiting belief go, I just opened something up and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, you're walking the, the, walking the creative path with the, with practical feet, figuring out like, how do I, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yes, to paraphrase that, yes, you know, there's, it, you remind me of, there's, there's a, in my neighborhood, I live in a small town in Oregon. Um, our primary industry is actually a Shakespeare festival, but, uh, around the corner from me, is a forge, <laughs> which I don't know what century he thinks he lives in, but somehow he has made a living. He has created a business out of a forge, which sounds so, <laughs> you know, 16th century. But, uh, you know, it sometimes just by just, you know, sheer will and creative thinking, you can find a way. And, and I've always uh, held on to this notion that there's always a way. There's always a way. We're just not thinking, um, you know, uh, either broadly or creatively enough to fill in yeah. those gaps. Yeah. But yeah, congratulations absolutely. on 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 that. Not just having that inspiration, but carrying it through and and building your your life. <laughs> it's a beautiful. Thank thing. you. Thank you. Yeah. So, are you able to continue working as you normally would during the pandemic, or, or oh, yes. are, have you had to change what you're doing? Um. Hmm. I have chosen not to change what I'm doing. Um, so at the beginning, when I had the realization that there's a good, a very good chance that Ascot will be cancelled this year. Mm-hmm. Has that happened? You know, 
I, I, it, yeah, it did happen. Yeah. But mm. when I first had that realization, it was this, you know, that icky, sick mm. kind of like, I'm totally done for feeling, mm. mm-hmm. you know, that kind mm-hmm. of utter loss of like, you know, it's like, this is my life gone down the drain. What am I going to do? How, how right. am I going to survive? Like this, mm-hmm. this is, you know, it's a yeah, catastrophe that, personally. That, yeah. 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 That kind yeah. of feeling felt very real for me um, because I, mm-hmm. I didn't know how I was going to live, how I was going to survive. And right. I guess because I'm so into this, you know, all this personal development stuff, which I do, um, I was only in that space for about a day. Um, well, and congratulations. I basically just, <laughs> yeah. Think, yeah. You, yeah. We but I was all, proactive we... <laughs> about it. But I was proactive okay. about mm-hmm. recognizing I'm in that space. Right. Um, and, and in Landmark, we call it the morass, you know, this kind of like the murky mm. swamp mm-hmm. of the kind of lower self kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah. Recognizing it, allowing myself like a day to like wallow. Um, mm-hmm. And then just going, okay how do I get myself out of this? And I'm part of a couple of like support groups here. One of them is my coach. She's, you know, all her business is the positive change makers initiative. So I'm part of her group. And I'm also part of a really lovely women's kind of support networking group called Nurture Network. And they're just, they're just groups which I'm in and they're pretty gentle, but we just support each other basically. And and luckily the day after this kind of sinkingness, um, I had a call uh, with the change makers group and just shared really honestly. And we were all feeling like that because everyone in the world was feeling like that at that time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then pretty much the day after that, because you know through kind of that call and the coaching, I was able to just kind of go, okay, well, this is how it is right now. It's, you know, I'm probably going to have to accept that the, the likelihood of Ascot being cancelled, of no one buying hats. I'm probably going to have to accept that this is going to be, yeah, like financially, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. like really super, super tough. But right. how can I still use this year? And and I think, <clears throat> I think what it is, is once you start thinking in this way, you're thinking about who you're being more than what you're doing. Right. So it's like, who do I still want to be in this year? Mm. I still want to be someone who sparks joy and creativity and someone who leaves people feeling inspired. I can still choose to be that person. The human being versus the human doing. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how do you spark joy in other people? when your normal product is not what's, you know, yeah, what so venues did I, you find? <laughs> I did the thing again where I went, right. I, so I got rid of, you know, that one limiting belief, which is this year is completely destroyed and and I mm-hmm. might as well just climb under a rock and da da da, you know, push right. that aside. And then did it again, wrote a list again. I'm well into my lists. Um, <laughs> wrote a list of all <laughs> of the, uh, yeah, all of the ways that I could spark joy and creativity. So one of the ways was I can um, just start making all of these hats, which I've designed through the years, which I've been wanting to create and I've never had time to. Uh, 
I can do so your that. Your portfolio right? is growing. Yeah, it's yeah, like okay, yeah. what else can I do? I love being in front of the camera. I love interviewing people. I love anything to do with kind of media. I can showcase other people's work. I can like mm. do interviews with people and 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 do that and showcase other people's work as well as mine. Like I, you know, and I basically mm-hmm, started. Mm-hmm just kind of going, yeah, I could do this. Yeah. And then from the business side of things, there's also a whole bunch of boring business stuff, which I've never given myself time to do or never bothered to do it. So for example, writing the content of my website, so it's all SEO friendly. And so I then started training myself in that boring business side of things, which was like, okay, how do I find all the right keywords? How do I do this? (laughs) Hey, now that that boring business stuff is what I've (laughs) been doing for a living for 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I found it and I'm fine. I'm still working on it. I I find it, I I find it really difficult. Like that's an area (laughs) which I don't, I don't want to do, but I I have to do it in order to you know, push myself because actually, I think what I was actually hoping to do this year was pay someone to do that for me. But I'm like, well, I don't, I won't have the money to pay someone. So I'll train myself. And Mm -hmm, I'm very mm -hmm. fortunate that I I just have a really good network of people around me um, and people who I know. But one of my Baha'i friends up in Scotland was like, look, I know all about this. I can just, you know, I don't mind just sharing all my knowledge with you. So so basically, yeah, like I, I have been using this time productively. I've been learning a lot of new stuff. I've been, mm. um, you know, I, I'm kind of, yeah, finally working through my to-do list of non-urgent things and it feels really good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Sahar, it's so beautiful to hear uh, about your, your work and your life that you've built for yourself and all the best. I hope that we do see uh, the Great British Millinery Show yes. <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you're you. You're welcome. Thank you it's so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And um, yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. The 52 Sketches podcast is a product of 52 Sketches, makers of earlywords.io, daily, private, stream of consciousness writing to clear your mind and unlock your creativity. Mm-hmm.